Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Invertebrates, animals without a backbone, just don't get much respect. Humans tend to look down on these creatures and even consider a large number of them as something to destroy, as pests. But did you know that invertebrates make up 95% of all species on Earth? and that without them, we humans would die off. Why? Because invertebrates that live in soil create the conditions that allow plants to grow and thrive. And plants are the basis of all our food. Invertebrates pollinate the flowering crops we depend on for food. They break down dead animal and plant matter, enriching the earth with nutrients. And invertebrates are food for birds and reptiles. Those are just some of the things invertebrates do for us. To find out more, I met up with Ross Winton of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Ross is an invertebrate biologist. I'm the invertebrate biologist, as you mentioned, and that means I am responsible for any species that don't have uh, uh, a vertebrae. So that's pretty much most of the species on the planet. Uh, My program specifically works on all the the rare and sensitive species in the state of Texas. Um, We have a list of around 400 species that uh, the state considers to be uh, species of greatest conservation need, or SGCN. Um, And those are the species that are are highest, the most at risk, um, or the species that are only found in Texas and are very rare. Um, And my my position focuses on the management of those species specifically. Can you give me an idea of what you do on a daily basis? Like what would you be doing later today? Yeah, this time of year, since we're kind of just coming out of the summer and the heat and we're starting to get rains, uh, a lot of the invertebrates, namely uh, a lot of the insect species, are starting to become active. So we'll go out and do uh, survey work to try and determine where these species are found in the state, uh, also to learn more about their biology. Uh, Many of these rare species, they've been encountered so uh, infrequently that we know very little about them. Uh, We know that they're unique and that they're only found in the state. Uh, but beyond that, we really know very little. So trying to increase our knowledge of those species, where they're found, what the threats might be to their persistence on the landscape, but then also trying to work with landowners on the ground um, uh, in active management uh, for invertebrates. The, the requests we get the most often are related to pollinators. So landowners wanting to increase habitat for pollinators or incorporate the management of pollinator species into their land management practices. Can you give us sort of a basic definition of what is an invertebrate and tell us about some of the different uh, species that are uh, included in that category? Yeah, so an invertebrate is anything that doesn't have uh, a vertebrae. So about 5% of the animal species on the planet uh, are considered vertebrates. Uh, They're in a group called the vertebrata. Uh, And all those species, they actually have a a vertebrae that's developed around a spinal cord. Uh, Invertebrates on a backbone. A backbone, exactly. So invertebrates uh, do not have uh, a backbone. They don't have a a vertebrae. Um, And most of the the things that people might identify with as invertebrates, the the most obvious ones are insects, Um, but a lot of crustaceans, uh, things like crayfish and crabs and shrimp. Um, are also invertebrates. A lot of worms, most worms, uh, all worms really, uh, are invertebrates as well. 
Um, so there's a very diverse array of what would be classified as an invertebrate. I uh, I was surprised to learn that 95%, as you just said, of the species on Earth are invertebrates. Uh, and I've also read that if all invertebrates were to die off, uh, that all life, including human life, would die. Why would that happen? Yeah, so invertebrates... Uh, play a really vital role in the ecosystem, uh, many of them being so small, they form some really unique ecosystem functions, um, things like decomposition. Um, a lot of worms are involved in decomposition, but to break those really fine pieces that they're breaking down in the soil, other insects and other decomposers are involved in breaking those down further. Uh, and that's really gets into nutrient cycling. So to get those nutrients from uh, dead animals or decaying leaves, uh, wood, they have to be broken down. And most of those functions are filled by invertebrates. Um, so in order to recycle those nutrients uh, in the ecosystem, there have to be invertebrates involved. And if that didn't happen, leaves wouldn't decay. Um, you know, when people die, they wouldn't be absorbed and in, back into the, the soil. Um, things like pollination um, is one that's really at the forefront of people's mind now. Um, pollination services, so actually moving pollen and fertilizing these flowers to create fruit, which we eat, um, probably about two-thirds. There's a lot of estimates that, that vary, but about two-thirds of, of the food that we eat uh, are the direct result of pollination. That's not including the indirect, where the alfalfa that's fed to the cattle um, or livestock doesn't include a lot of those indirect uh, benefits. So there's uh, a lot of services that they provide in the ecosystem that if we didn't have those, we would cease to function. So plants that grow and recycle CO2 and turn it into oxygen, a lot of those plants wouldn't be able to reproduce if they didn't have insects and other invertebrates helping them to reproduce. And then, uh, as you mentioned a little while ago, so the, the soil, that part is really important too because mm -hmm. that's where all our food comes from, basically. I mean, that's where it all starts. Correct, so, yeah. yeah. Why should we care to protect some of these other and aside from pollinators and critters that are in the soil, what, what other insects should we be concerned about in terms of protecting? Um, well, all of them have a, a unique function. And I like to say, you know, we don't know how the entire ecosystem functions completely in all of its uh, intricacies. So anyone who, who thinks they've understood it all really, really doesn't understand how complex it really is. So a lot of insects we've come to find have, have play very vital uh, roles in the ecosystem. So I think when you look at them more holistically and you look at them at the ecosystem level, uh, instead of just conserving one species, think about how the, how the whole system functions. And a lot of these insects and a lot of these invertebrates, we really don't understand how unique they are and those roles that they play. So I think trying to conserve them as a whole is going to be a lot more beneficial than just trying to focus on, say, one specific species of bee. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Ross Winton, invertebrate biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, and we're talking about invertebrates, uh, namely insects, basically. And, and um, one of the things I was uh, wondering about is um, most people, when you talk about insects, think of things that they don't like, that they consider pests. Um, it might be ants or cockroaches or, you know, whatever. Um, are there uh, insects that you consider or are classified as pests? Yeah, there, there are a lot of species that are defined as pests, but sometimes it comes down to individuals' perspective. 
Um, some people might consider a honeybee a pest uh, or a bee species. You know, it just comes if they get into their house, it automatically becomes a pest species. Right. Um, so it's all comes down to individual's context. Uh, when I define pests, most of the things I think of as pests are often not native. Uh, we've brought in a lot of ornamental trees and agricultural crops that have their own native pests, but they're not necessarily native to North America. And when we've brought those plants to uh, North America, we also bring along their pests. So when we want that nice pretty tree in our front yard, there's either going to be a, a, a non-native or even sometimes a native species that's going to consume it, and we might define that as a, as a pest or a non-desirable. Um, they're all just doing what they do naturally. Um, but we just kind of have defined them as being pest species. Um, in agricultural settings, there's, you know, when you're trying right. to produce crops to feed large populations, anything that reduces your efficiency is going to be considered a pest. Um, so trying to reduce those pests while also not trying to impact other native species is often a really tricky balance. So what are some of the rare species that you are concerned with? Yeah, well, being the invertebrate biologist, it's kind of a vast array of uh, really diverse uh, species. The The ones that we've been really focusing on a lot lately, uh, one that's really come to the forefront, uh, are mussels. So a lot of our rivers and streams in the state uh, are occupied by mussels. Um, most people may see the shells laying on the shores. Uh, maybe they've found a mussel bed when they were a kid digging around in the rocks in the in the river. Um, but they fill a really important role in the ecosystem. They're a filter feeder. So a lot of things that are in the water column, they actually clean the water by filtering. Um, and we're starting to see a major decline in a lot of mussel populations, mostly because of habitat loss, um, but also water management fluctuations in water um, and toxins that are in the water start to build up. The widespread use of a lot of, pestic of, a lot of pesticides uh, as well as significant habitat losses have led to the declines in a lot of uh, insect species. So those are some topics that we're starting to look at as far as how can we reestablish habitat and how can we um, ensure that some of these, these habitats persist that are still intact. Um, so those are kind of two of the, the big areas that we're focusing on. Uh, Texas has a lot of, just because of its size and also because of its location on the planet, has a lot of very unique species that are found nowhere else uh, but Texas. Uh -huh. uh, now you talked about some of the threats uh, in terms of loss of habitat. How does that happen? Um, it, it can happen in a variety of ways. Um, some of it can happen naturally to where, you know, there's just the kind of natural cycling of, uh, of habitats. Um, through natural wildfire and things like that, where, you know, a large uh, uh, forest can burn down and then, you know, you'll start to get grasses and, and small plants will start to come back and slowly uh, through succession, um, those habitats will kind of form a mosaic. So you can have natural disturbance where habitats are lost. Um, some of those natural cycles have been kind of disturbed um, just because of, of human intervention. Um, but so that's kind of a natural disturbance, but also development, um, conversion into different forms of agriculture. Um, when you get into a lot of the short grass and tall grass prairies, a lot of that is because it's really desirable for growing a lot of crops. They've been converted. Um, so those are some of the, the different so ways housing, that it can like be Like housing lost. developments, yeah, things like that. Usually you see the housing developments come in after agriculture uh, in a lot of cases, um, but that's not always always the case. So. Yeah, I mean, in, in the urban settings, you start to see it kind of along the periphery where your green spaces or your open spaces start to get filled in by, by subdivisions yeah. and things like that, um, which is also going to be habitat loss for some species. But 
um, across the board, you know, large swaths of intact, fully intact habitat being lost and developed is, is definitely a major impact to a lot of wildlife species, including invertebrates. I always just like to remind people that, you know, whether people see it or not, the invertebrates are out there filling a lot of vital roles that sometimes we don't often appreciate until we sit down and think about it. So when it comes to recycling nutrients or getting rid of the things that we don't want like dung or pollinating and creating the food that we eat every day. Um, when you really stop and think about all the things that insects are, are doing, you start to appreciate them a little bit more and start to think about how we might be impacting their populations. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Ross Winton, invertebrate biologist at Texas Parks and Wildlife. And we were talking about uh, loss of habitat for particular invertebrates. Uh, but right now it's time for a break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Ross Winton, invertebrate biologist at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, and we were talking about the loss of habitat. Or what kinds of things do you recommend that can be done to protect species that are rare and endangered? Yeah, the, the species are dependent on, on the habitat that they utilize. So a lot of species trying to maintain the habitat that we still have that's intact. Uh, maintain as much of it as possible so that they can still persist and use that habitat. Um, but when it's lost, the, it can still, there's a lot of work that can be done to try and restore it. Um, but I don't, I try to tell people, you know, you can create habitat in your own backyard. So if you live in an area that's, you know, say in the hill country of Texas, um, and you know, the habitat was converted, you can create micro pockets of habitat that are available um, to a variety of wildlife species. Um, so I don't try to tell people that just because it's been converted and the habitat's been lost that it's all it's all it's over. It's all over. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's still a lot of opportunities you can yeah. you can have to maintain the habitat, and we have a lot of partners and there's a lot of folks across the state that are working to conserve habitat and maintain habitat that's currently available and intact, and a lot of restoration work that's going on to to restore those habitats. Um, but I think. You know, I try to tell people that you there's a lot of work that you can do to try and maintain, even in the smallest pockets in your backyard, uh, to create habitat for invertebrates to help them persist on the landscape. Yeah. So, if we would take a particular uh, insect, can you tell us something about how that's endangered, and then what what can be done to help help it survive? Yeah, yeah, we've. The, some of the species I've been looking at uh, since I moved to Texas are, are dune associate species. So they exist kind of on um, on dunes in West Texas and also a lot of salt flats. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the, the habitats there have been converted uh, for oil and gas purposes. So there's a lot of species that exist out in, in that area, um, invertebrates and, and plants and and reptiles and birds and all kinds of things but um for an, from an invertebrate perspective a lot of those those habitats they rely on the soils and a lot of the the plants that are actually pretty aggressive um they'll come back pretty pretty easily mm -hmm. um but just trying to work with folks to develop strategies on how you can convert those once they're no longer in oil and gas convert those habitats back 
Um, so that a lot of these wildlife species can, because a lot of times they exist kind of in the interfaces in between properties. And when you create the habitat, they'll, they'll come back and utilize it a lot of the time. Um, but in some cases, like with plants, if they have a unique uh, association with plants, like a lot of uh, native bees do, mm-hmm. once the plants are gone, it's very difficult for those plants to come back. I mean, a bee can fly several miles, but if the flowers that it utilizes are gone, right. it, obviously it's very difficult. So right. it depends on the species on how, how you can come back. Uh, one of the species a lot of people in Texas like to focus on are monarch butterflies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not one of our species of greatest conservation need, um, but they are definitely in, in steep decline across a lot of their range. Um, so having folks, you know, reestablish habitat even in their backyards or when they're trying to convert lands back, thinking about creating habitat that monarchs can use, uh, whether it's milkweed or nectar right. sources for them when they're migrating. I mean, even in urban settings where you're in a large city, a lot of research has shown that even though you're in a large city and you wouldn't think that, you know, me planting a wildflower garden is going to help anything. Um, a lot of migratory species and even species that you know you normally wouldn't see on the landscape, if the habitat's made for them, they'll utilize it um, if they can reach it. So it's kind of, I look at it as like a bunch of different islands they can island hop. So instead of having just a, the concrete jungle inside an urban setting, if there's enough little microhabitats that are created, they can persist in that kind of environment. You don't have to be you know out on a thousand acre ranch way outside of town to be impacting uh, species. Um, on the large scale, obviously, you're going to have larger benefits, but I don't like to dissuade people from creating, you know, even just a little four by four pollinator garden on your on your patio in a city, because um, that's going to have major impacts. Um, and that's your world. That's the impact that you can make, but also the advocacy and then trying to inform others uh, out there as well about some of those those concerns because we've seen kind of this insect apocalypse that everyone was talking about several months ago it's it's definitely real i mean the scope and scale is what's up for debate everyone would admit that there's been major declines uh, in a lot of invertebrate populations but you mentioned the insect apocalypse can you elaborate on that yeah the the insect apocalypse i think was kind of coined by the media but it's definitely supported by a lot of data um like I said, it's kind of the scope and scale question as to how how widespread is it and how impactful is it actually um, on on insect populations. So I mean, there's definitely major declines in insect populations across a variety of groups, which is concerning. If you see it kind of in one group or another, you think there might be something that's specific or unique to that group. But when you see it kind of widespread across a variety of invertebrates and insect species, that starts to become more concerning that it's a widespread issue. Um, so, and they've they've identified a lot of different uh, concerns, um, namely being habitat loss, but then also the widespread use of systemic pesticides. Uh, the one that's really getting a lot of attention are neonicotinoids, and I know you've covered neonicotinoids on some of your previous podcasts. Um, the, it's it's a systemic pesticide that affects the nervous system of pest species is the kind of what they're really putting applying it for or using it for but it it will impact any species that comes in contact with it so if that uh, the neonicotinoid pesticides are absorbed by a plant it is basically put out by the plant so anything visiting that flower or eating those leaves are going to be impacted by that that pesticide so in, in some cases something flying over the field after it's been treated they're going to be impacted either directly through direct mortality or because they're going to get sick and the reproduction is lowered, um, their success in reproduction is lowered. So it can have a lot of major impacts um, at a large scale as it's used more and more widely. 
um, which it has been in the last 20 years in the U.S. It's really expanded the, the use of those chemicals. Whenever I go uh, biking, um, I see uh, going across the road almost every day the little dung beetles mm-hmm. with their little ball of yeah. dung. Tell me about dung beetles. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, dung beetles are starting to get a lot more attention. I actually was uh, visiting with some ranchers uh, a week and a half ago who were interested in trying to incorporate dung beetle management into their, their rangeland um, uh, practices. So dung beetles are really unique in that they get rid of a lot of the things we just don't like to think about. Um, when you're an animal, you just go wherever and you don't worry about it. Um, but dung beetles play a really important role uh, in the ecosystem in that they're taking that dung and they're actually recycling it and utilizing it, one, for food, um, for their young. But then they, they're also, a lot of those species will actually bury the dung. So they'll dig a burrow, they'll lay that little ball of dung, you see them rolling along the ground. And then as the, the larvae or the juveniles uh, process that, they're making those nutrients directly available to a lot of plants underground. So instead of those nutrients having to leach down into the soil from a dung pile, um, they're actually putting it down into the soil where it can be accessed by other other invertebrates to process it and make it available to plants. Right. So it's it's kind of a great little system where they've got yeah. this. They're they're working in concert with a lot of other things on the landscape. They're like um, uh, little farmers. They are like little farmers of sorts, yeah. But they're growing their larvae, and they're just planting them like a seed underground, and then yeah. they'll pop back out. And, and Texas is really diverse when it comes to dung beetles, too, that fill a lot of different roles and are associated with a lot of different species um, of wildlife. So they have some really close, unique relationships with specific uh, mammal species as well. Really? Yeah. In what way? So the, some, some of the species, they'll, they'll utilize one type of dung from one kind of animal over another. Um, and some will actually live in the nests of uh, small mammals or birds even. They'll live in the nest and they'll process the dung. Um, so really? they can have really close ties to specific types of uh, wow. larger wildlife species in processing those materials. Yeah. Uh, that are, I mean, if, if the resource is there, they'll, they'll use it. Yeah. So uh, spiders... A lot of people are afraid of them or find them scary or mm-hmm. some creepy. Um, what? How are they important in our ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people's fears of spiders, some of it's kind of perpetuated by the media, that these big scary things that are going to bite you and poison you and kill you, and I think a lot of venomous species get a bad rap. Um, m- all spiders, uh, people will ask me, well, you know, it's, it's, they'll say poisonous. They're, they're all venomous. They all have some type of venom or they will bite. So people will say, will it bite me? And I say, well, I have teeth. I could bite you. So, but you're not afraid of me. So uh, a lot of those species, they get that bad rap, um, but they play a really vital role in uh, consuming large insect populations. So things like mosquitoes, if you don't, when we had that big Zika outbreak, uh, they, they kind of hit Texas a couple years ago. The spiders and a lot of insectivores are the ones who are reducing the populations of some of those vectors that spread disease, um, so helping to kind of keep populations of certain insects in check. Um, so that's kind of the role that they fill on the ecosystem uh, in a variety of ways. So some of them live primarily on the ground and feed on a lot of uh, terrestrial insects, so keeping those populations in check. Um, so if you didn't have the spiders, a lot more things would be getting into your house than you might see now. Um, so sometimes when I see spiders inside my house, if you look at it, you know, it's going to be filled with ants. It's going to be filled with mosquitoes and flies. And they're eating all those things that are, we might consider pests, like, right. like we talk, talked about before. Um, so they are unique. And we do have a lot of spiders that are unique in Texas as well. Most of them are associated with caves. Um, so they're very unique. They're blind. 
Uh, they're only found in these subterranean environments, but we also have a lot of unique species found only in Texas. Uh, uh, the tarantula is the most iconic. Uh, we right. have a lot of species that are, are found in the southwest um, that are big and showy, and people are afraid of them, but they're usually very docile, and it's usually only when you start poking them with a stick that things start to happen and yeah. start impacting people's lives. Same with rattlesnakes. Most people when they get bit by a rattlesnake, sometimes it's an accident and they just step on it. But a lot of times they'll say, so what was going on? Well, I was poking it with a stick. And then, yeah. So that's the same case with a lot of spiders and other non-desirable insects. Um, they don't tend to impact us until we start trying to mess with them. Right. Right. So for the arachnophobe, <laughs> they, they, they are necessary and they are vital in the, in the world. But, you know, if you don't want them in your house, I can understand that. But when they're out, out in the landscape doing their job... I always try to put them back where they, they do their work the best. Are any of these insects that are uh, invertebrates that we're talking about, um, are they being affected as well by changes in the climate? Uh, and, and can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of them that are definitely impacted by climate. Um, as we see plants start to change, so flowering plants start to emerge sooner or senesce or go inactive uh, earlier. Um, we start to see a lot of changes that start to impact a lot of our, our insects and invertebrates. Um, you start to see changes in water temperature. So a lot of people will notice, you know, the fish are having an issue or we're having these major uh, algal blooms and things like that that are impacting a lot of our water resources. That's going to impact the invertebrates as well. Um, so a lot of those, you know, easy to see uh, impacts are going to be there. Um, we also start to notice that we see species moving. So a lot of these invasive species we have, they're going to continue to move further and further north in the state as we have this changing climate. I hope you've enjoyed our program. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends about this program and come back again for more amazing sustainable living news with me, Salwa Khan, on Mothering Earth. Mothering Earth.